Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press joins us for an interview. We talked to Ralph about the preseason AP Top 25 including OU coming in at preseason number two. We bring you the latest updates from OU training camp, and we finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, August 19th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And every night from 6 p.m. to midnight, August 1st through 27th, you can win your share of $300,000 in cash prizes and bonus play. In Riverwind's $300,000 Riverwind Winniversary. That is a lot of cash. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Now we're recording this Wednesday night. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and a nice comment while you're at it. Also, if you want to tell us who you want us to get like guest-wise on the podcast, feel free. Put that in the comment as well. Ted, we've got our man. The man from the Associated Press, Ralph Russo, on this episode. He, he's the best. Love it. He's always good. Uh, tons of information. Little Peel back the uh, curtain a little bit as to how, um, how the whole thing goes down. It's really good to have him on. Good time of the year for him. This is awesome. Yeah, so the, the preseason AP poll just came out, so we dive into that with Ralph, but we better jump right into it or else this is going to be a two-hour podcast, Ted. So let's roll. Mm-hmm. OU football stuff. Ted, I'm going to give you two options. Okay. What do you think OU fans are more upset about? Number one, OU's home opener on September 11th against Western Carolina. 
has been set for a 6 p.m. kickoff on pay-per-view or number two, wide receiver Luther Burden, who is the number six overall player in the 24-7 composite rankings in the class of 2022, has decommitted from Oklahoma. Uh, the wide receiver decommitment. There's no doubt about it. I think we're used to the uh, pay-per-view game. And if if we have to pay for a primetime kickoff, we'll pay for a primetime kickoff. Okay, Literally. That's, that's what it's come to. All right. So I think I think we've all just accepted that at this point. Yeah, I I'm with you. We we all knew this was coming. And I do think all the OU fans will be glad to see the pay-per-view game disappear when they go to the SEC. I only assume that game's gonna disappear once they go to the SEC. It's Bedlam it's baby disappear. pay-per-view coming up next year. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? But yeah, and with Burden decommitting, and I know we don't talk a ton of recruiting on here, but he's he's the third big-time wide receiver to decommit from OU in this recruiting class, in that 2022 class. And it's a little weird, right? And especially, do you see the kid's tweet? And I, I'm not, you know, hey, high school kid, I'm not touching that stuff. I know some people tweet the high school kids that that's never ever ever going to be me and i know it's certainly not going to be you ted but he said business move and i was like wait well, i don't even really know what that means what does that mean i i, I saw it i was like wait what what's up please elaborate young man i would love to know like business move what's that even mean when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so funny that a year ago, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a year ago. Six months ago, if a recruit decommits somewhere and says business decision, that's like the, uh, uh, I mean, the scandal of the year, right? It's like, what's going on? Who's paying him? But now, I mean, you could actually say that and there may be a little bit of legitimacy to it. So it's, it's weird. I don't know. I, if, if it's a business decision, I don't know, man, I, you're hard pressed to find a better place to go for a wide receiver business decision wise than Oklahoma. It's been pretty good. If, if it's anywhere other than Ohio state or Alabama, I'll be like, what, what business are we talking about? Like, I, yeah. I, and maybe it, Hey, NIL stuff is certainly a big factor. Now we we've talked about how that could affect recruiting. I guess there's a, there's a lot of buzz that he may be headed to Missouri now after this. I, I don't know. He's, I think he's an East St. Louis kid. So I, yeah, I don't know. It just, it is a little weird that OU has lost those three and, then it starts making me think like, have they lost them or have they, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just diving into conspiracies now. Well, we've had 
plenty of guys decommit before and then still end up signing at OU. I think CeeDee Lamb decommitted and then ended up coming back and signing at OU. So um, I, it's it's not good. It's not what you want, but I think it's it's too early to, to be really worried about it affecting us. Right. If we don't sign a good recruiting class at wide receiver, well, we'll just hit the transfer portal and go get some. Things have changed that way. Sorry. That's go, where Lincoln, go to free agency, Gabe. Come on. Lincoln calls someone. He's like, hey, uh, want to be my go-to wide receiver? And not to say that there's not a lot of talent at wide receiver right now on the roster, but you're, you're always looking to upgrade, and the portal is just another way to do that. But, yeah, I saw some OU fans that it, it seemed like even though – all this hype is building for the season. There are some of those OU fans that are just die hard recruit people, recruiting people. And they, it was like the sky was falling. I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think it's, um, it, it is. I love that people are really vested in the recruiting and who's coming to Oklahoma, but you got to find something else to worry about especially whenever it's wide receiver. I think we're going to be just fine. Now, if we had a five-star defensive lineman decommit, that's something to be upset about. I think we're going to be fine at wide receiver. There's more really good wide receivers out there running around in high school at lower-level colleges that are going to be the transfer portal than there's ever been in the history of football. So we're going to have good wide receivers on the field for as long as we can see into the future. Yeah. All right, let's get to our OU training camp buzz. Love it. Okay, so we all heard Lincoln Riley talk about the scrimmage publicly. He talked about the explosive plays from the offense, the explosive plays from the defense, mentioned a bunch of sacks that the defense was able to get in the scrimmage. Now, the scrimmage didn't do a ton of plays from what I was told, but went live, like to the ground. So got some really valuable work in Ted, but the overall feeling from everyone I've talked to, and it's, it's really encouraging to be honest, but the overall feeling is that the level of competition between the offense and defense is at a, I'm not going to say much higher, but is that definitely at a higher level at this point in camp than it's been the last couple of years. They feel like it is cleaner football. They feel like it is better football on both sides of the ball. And maybe the most encouraging thing, because you and I, we always talk about the importance of depth throughout a season and, you know, how depth matters when you get to the college football play. If you got to have the talent, but you also have to have the depth to be able to keep guys fresh within a game. And that may be the most encouraging thing right now coming out of OU training camp is that that, that high level of play, uh, that cleaner football, it's not just the ones it's twos and some even threes. And that's, that's about the best thing you can hear other than, there's no injuries. That's one of the best things you can hear out of training camp is that twos and threes are playing clean and playing well. That that bodes well for a season. 
Yeah, I hate to even mention this, but I don't feel like we're we're really at a place where any one player uh like being out would would totally change or derail the direction of the season. And that's really saying something about uh, especially a team that's picked to to go to the semifinal, maybe go to the national championship game. That that's how good your depth is. And there's a difference between like depth talent wise, like, hey, we've got a bunch of highly recruited kids on the roster and, and quality depth, meaning talented players that can be um, relied upon to go in and play competitive snaps for you and and have a football game on the line. So I know defensively we haven't had this depth dare I say ever since at least I've been following the program. I mean, there's been some really good players and some really good defenses, but I don't know how many defenses that you could say we'll rotate 14 guys at defensive line. What? Like, what does that even mean? When has that ever happened? Um, so I, I, I think I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that is – because a season is long and things do happen. So to be able to have that, that safety valve is awesome. I'll also say this. I don't know about you, but I hated live practices tackling to the ground, which it probably wasn't any different for the offensive line. But oh. it's hard to get into a mindset of tackling a guy all the way to the ground in practice. You... You and I, and I think it's safe to say you and I get along very well now. Uh, we are we are good friends. You would have hated me in live scrimmages because I would have cut your ass. I cut everyone in scrimmages. Like if we're going live, like if you can, if you can hit the running back, it's like the last thing I'm doing is letting you run full speed through my soul as I'm running sideways on outside zone and you're coming downhill trying to run through the gap. It's like, hey, nope. I don't mind it. I, I A cut block to me sometimes is easier than than playing off something else. As long as I, long as I know that you're going to cut me or you can cut me, I'm fine. I am, I am, um, I'm good to go. But, I I just it's hard to flip the switch, man. Absolutely, it's hard to flip the switch to tackle someone. It's like I didn't like cutting my teammates. I want to make that clear, right? It's and as as I got older during the scrimmages, and it was another like veteran like defensive line that had played a lot of football. I would say, "Hey, dude, I'm cutting you," and like we just lay yes. there on the ground. That's right. You you tell everyone it's like you. It, the first thing it does is it prepares them to where they don't try and fight you. And the second thing it does is it slows their ass way down, doesn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. But yeah, I it's like being in a fight. It's hard to it's hard to like spar and then like get the same feeling because like in a fight you have to be ready to like really injure someone. It's kind of the same thing tackling somebody. You're either doing it all out like crazy or it's it's easy to make mistakes. I don't know. I hated live practices. Other than like goal line and short yardage, that was fine. 
You you would love goal line and short yards. You are such a meathead, dude. <laughs> okay, couple uh couple of notes out of training camp on the defensive side of the ball. Nick Benito. The guy's got, I mean, he's got an incredible amount of hype heading into the year, right? We've all seen the preseason All-American teams. We've all seen the NFL mock drafts. Well, I, I was told he is on a whole different level than he was last season right now. That he is probably, with what he's done so far in camp, that he's the best player on the team. And they got some good players. And Ted, we've talked about how interesting it would be to see how Benito responded to all that offseason hype. And it, it sounds like it has affected him in a very positive way. And I love hearing that. I agree. Um, and I've heard the exact same thing about Perion Winfrey. You know, the fact that he's gotten attention, he's he's been talked about, he's getting some hype, if that's what you want to call it, has really changed his demeanor as a football player. Uh, it all of a sudden means a whole lot more whenever you're labeled as a leader, one of the better players on the team. Like, okay, well, I, I better bring everyone up to this level so we go out and accomplish some of these things. And it's been like he's he's done a complete uh, switch. Like, not that he was ever uh, some horrible teammate, but now he's like one of the more popular uh, guys in the locker room and everything. I'll tell you something that's interesting, though. And Lincoln said this in his comments, and you mentioned it wasn't a high-volume rep scrimmage. But <laughs> Lincoln just kind of skipped over the fact he says – you know, there were some explosive plays. You know, defense had, I think, six or seven sacks. And it was like, wait, what? They had what? Six or seven he sacks? He said it very casually, too. Right. It's like, well, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I expect the defensive line to be great. But, I mean, how did, how did you take that? I, just from from kind of what we were thinking coming into camp with the O-line and kind of what we're hearing, positive things about the O-line, but it, it seems the consensus is they think this defensive line is elite. And, and I'm not talking like elite for the Big 12. I'm talking possibly the best defensive line in the entire country. So, yeah, I kind of expect them to carve the O-line's ass up every once in a while, right? Especially you yep. get those guys, you get those guys revved up for a scrimmage. I mean, especially Winfrey on the interior, Benito on the edge guard. If you, if you got Tyrese Robinson, you got Marquise Hayes at guard, right? You're, you're, you're solid there. And then you got a bunch of guys around them that haven't played much football. Yeah. So I, I'm, I had the same reaction you had when he said that, but I also was like, oh yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of early in camp too. And then I was like, well, is it really that early? now?" <laughs> but well, I, the other thing is it's not like, it's not a game. It's not even like a training camp scrimmage is way more informal than even the spring game. So you could have Perry on Winfrey going up against the third team center somehow, you know, and, yeah, just, just if by, the rotations line yeah. up that way, yeah. 
yeah, so you never know like exactly what's going on out there. It, it, is a back screwing up a protection, a, a young bat going the wrong way? There's there's a million things that could happen, but it just caught my attention that he's like, oh yeah, defense had six or seven sacks, and um, I I I expect him to be elite, and I've heard him talk about. Throw a guy's name out, defensive line, and they're saying they're looking really good. So it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Perrion, Winfrey, and Nick Benito clearly getting a lot of the attention, but a couple of names that have been mentioned a couple of times Corey Roberson and Jordan Kelly. And remember going back to spring ball, we had heard Jordan Kelly had really made a jump. Sounds like that has continued and he has continued to build on that. And both those guys, Roberson and Kelly are having really, really good training camps. Ellison too. Heard the same exact thing about Ellison. How many, how many guys are they going to play on the defensive line, dude? Grinch said 14. I mean, can you, can you really play like, are some guys just going to play like six plays a game? Like there's, there's only well, so many snaps. I'll tell you right now. I think Benito is not a, I don't think he's an every rep guy. I think he's a, I think if you're talking about a 65 snap game, I think you're talking about Benito as a 45 snap guy. So you're going to play at least two rushbackers. You're going to play at least two other guys at the other three positions. So you're talking about, there's eight right there, but I know we're going to go way more deep in the rotation than that. I bet you have, I bet you have five to six, honestly, rotating interior guys. Some will play more than others, not all equal snaps, but in probably three defensive ends. So eight, you're talking, you're talking honestly going to be a 10 man rotation on the on the four defensive line positions, calling the rush back or a D line position. That's so many guys, but like, I, I know their whole thing is stay fresh, play fast. And you know, who am I to argue with the, with the methods that go, that create I mean, the that, madness. I, I honestly think that that's why the depth has gotten so good. I mean, because there's, there's a, there's a difference on this defense between your traditional thought of being a one and a two traditionally if you're a two you only play if someone is hurt has a shoe come off and you've got to run out there that's the only that's the only time you play if you're a two or it's a blowout that's traditional football that's not how they they handle things if you're a two your ass is playing in the football game and you could get some decent reps it is interesting it's kind of fun it makes our job harder because we have to keep track of all these human beings. I will right. say this one guy that he may not get that many snaps early, but depending on how the season goes, you know, what, if, how many injuries there are, or if there are any, any injuries, I think that Kelvin Gilliam is, is going to be a dude from what yeah. I've been from what I'm hearing, like it sounds like maybe not right away, but get midway through the season, see where he's at. Like it sounds like they are really liking what they're seeing with that young man. Yeah. There's a Ethan Downs, same thing, same thing with Ethan Downs. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. They've, 
we've gone from complaining about the talent on the defensive line to trying to figure out how they're going to play them all. It's it's amazing. It really is. Speaks yeah. a lot to development. And that's that's kind of what seemed like it was missing on the defensive side, and that, that's maybe the biggest compliment you can give Grinch up to this point is just what he's done from a development standpoint. Um, running back situation. So Trey Bradford looks the part, looked really good the first day of practice, clearly physically gifted. Coaches like what they saw. Gets a little banged up, misses some time. Now he's continuing to learn the system and all that, but back on the practice field now, coaches certainly feel like he is a guy that can help them after seeing them after seeing him up close, right? Because you take a kid out of the portal. I mean, doesn't arrive till late, and you're you're playing a bit of a guessing game, but it, it sounds like they feel just with what they've seen so far that he, he's a guy they can rely on throughout the season. Now it has to continue to absorb the system and Lincoln puts a lot on backs and things like that, but I'll feel a lot better if they've got three backs that they feel really, really good about. And it sounds like Trey Bradford is a guy that, that they think they're going to be able to rely on. Do you think that we fully expect Lincoln to have a at least a two-back system. That's been what he, he does. But there's always a guy that is the perceived number one. Do you believe that to be Eric Gray is the number one, Kennedy Brooks is the number two? I do. Now, I don't is know there, if it really matters. But well, I don't... There, there is going to be a guy that is, you know, that's going to take. If two guys take all the reps in a game, there's going to be a guy that's it's like sixty five thirty five usually. So, you think they're that close? That I, you you really never know with Lincoln, but I think that I I will say this: I do think Kennedy Brooks is looking like himself. So. I know that was one of the questions you had, but damn, they like Eric Gray, man. Yeah. I mean, he he just sounds he sounds like he's just an awesome dude from everything yeah. I've been told. Like he just he just sounds great. Like not only is he a good player, but just studies and is constantly asking questions. Like just does everything right and wants to be great. And I mean, it's hard. I I don't know what the what the breakdown like the carries breakdown will look like and who knows but my gut tells me gray is the quote-unquote starter but yeah. I, I guess we'll see against Tulane yeah I, I don't know if it really matters I mean you you know how Lincoln is especially early in the season like hot hand hot hand how he'll go yeah I, I don't think it matters I I'm just curious as to just kind of how it looks because we've got a three-man backfield most likely and none of them played for us last year so it's kind of a weird circumstance to be in like you know what I'm saying and and I know we've got a history with Kennedy Brooks but I don't know I'm, I'm just and I've got no at least right now no concern with the position but 
gosh, you have a bad day at the office. You could be ultra thin at running back in a hurry. But I don't know. I I think it sounds like Gray's going to be an outstanding back, an outstanding all-around back, which is even better. And this week, when, when you look at what they're doing, they got three practices this week. They're going to do a light Friday. They're going to scrimmage this weekend. I always viewed this, Ted, as kind of heading into that second scrimmage. This is kind of moving week, separation week, where because you only you only have so many reps in practice, right? And and even if you feel really good about you know two guys at position or three guys at a position. There's only so many reps, and coaches have to decide who to give those reps to. And yep. this is usually a week where the coaches try some guys, try certain combinations, make their evaluations, and then they got to make some tough decisions. Now, it's not the NFL where they're, they're cutting people or anything like that, but this is the week where I think the coaches start looking at it and go, okay, who do we need to – focus a little more on we're not going to ignore the other kids but this is that that's kind of always the sense I got with this week leading up to that second scrimmage in camp yeah and you've kind of hit the point in camp too to where like everyone shows up excited fresh legs flying around then you hit a bit of a like a physical barrier, so to speak, to where everyone slows way down, and then you slowly build back up. You get the you get your your legs back. You're you're starting to get into to football shape, and then that's whenever you're you're really like you said, going to see guys either separate or coaches have to start making those decisions. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our interview with Ralph Russo, but first. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, here he is. Here's Ralph Russo. It is our pleasure to be joined by the college football writer for the Associated Press. He is also the host of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Ralph Russo is in the house. What's going on, man? Hey, my favorite Sooners. How are you guys? Good to see you tonight. Can, we... can I say my favorite Sooners? Because I know Dusty, too, and he might get upset. No, that's right. I mean, that's right. Uh, 
Yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll right. allow it. Cool. All right. Ralph, I mean, let's let's jump right into it, man. Sure. AP, the preseason, AP Top 25 comes out this week, and you are the you are the Associated Press writer that is in charge of compiling all those votes. That is your that is your duty. Any surprise that Alabama was number one? Any surprise because I mean they lost so many guys, but is it it, it feels like it's almost just like a respect thing for what Nick Saban has built in Tuscaloosa? Is that kind of the sense you get? Also, they have they have some pretty damn good players. Yeah, l- listen, they always have good players coming back. I think it is a little bit of a respect thing. And I think, um, you know, listen, Oklahoma is number two, right? And I feel like Oklahoma, in, in other years, a lot of people might have looked at Oklahoma and thought, yeah, we'll make them number one. They have the returning quarterback. Um, you know, we've seen them play pretty good defense last year for the first time in a while. Like, that's been trending up. But I think you're right. Like the respect for Alabama has just grown to the point where you're like, well, I haven't seen Bryce Young play, but he was a five star and he's at Alabama. So he should be okay. And, and like, and like, yeah, they need all these new receivers, but we got a little glimpse of Mechie. And, you know, we just know that there are good players behind the, the players who left. I, the, the only thing that I guess maybe, surprise surprise not maybe the best word but I was happy to see at least like Oklahoma got six first place votes Clemson got six first place votes somebody voted Ohio State for for, uh in first I think Georgia got three first place votes so if nothing else like there was at least some there was at least some indication that people were looking around to some other teams for that top spot but it's just it's hard to go wrong with Alabama I mean they've just proven that if they're not going to be number one, they're going to be close to it. It's just been a remarkable run. It really has. Um, and they've heard that. There's no doubt about it. I think it's interesting, though. We always have to go off of what we saw last year. But the year, if you go back the year before, uh, Alabama loses to LSU at home. Pretty tight game. They ended up coming back late a little bit to make it maybe look uh, closer than it was, actually. But Tua goes down, and they lose another game there. But they've got an excellent group coming back for the 2020 season. Mm -hmm. But people left them for dead. But there were so many fantastic players coming back that it's like, how are you guys not factoring in how good this team is? And then, like Feinbaum says, they're, Nick Saban's never going to win another championship at Alabama. And then, lo and behold, he has, like, his best team that he's had there, you know, since. Well, then, they lose a bunch of really good players, yeah. and they've got a quarterback. I mean, Mac Jones – he lost the game and he threw a couple of really bad interceptions late in the 2019 season, but he looked pretty good at times for them other than a, a, just a small handful of plays. We've seen nothing of Bryce young. They mm-hmm. lose a ton of their main contributors. And this year they put them at one. I just think it's weird. I'm not saying that they're not deserving. It's just kind of weird. Like some of the ebb and flow. And I feel like maybe sometimes the previous year has way too much to do with it. 
It, it probably does. It's a good, it, like the previous year is a pretty good indicator, but obviously there's some holes in it. Uh, I will say this, left them for dead. They were number two going into last year, right? Clemson was number one. Alabama, I think, was number two in the AP poll heading into last year, unless it was m- maybe three. I would have to like quickly look back now because Ohio State was pretty good going into last year too. So I think it was Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama going into last year. Um, yeah, we had that weird deal where we weren't sure if Ohio State was going to play, and it was kind and of. And then weird. they left the poll too, but none right. the beginning. It was the first initial poll. We came out as if everybody was going to play. Right. And last year was all kinds of screwed up for a lot of different reasons, and so so thank God that's all behind us. And I think Trevor Lawrence, obviously being at Clemson last year, you know, a lot of difference is played to the quarterbacks. And again, like I look at the top five this year, and I think. The reason why Oklahoma, I think, is getting so much play is, again, the improved defense without question, but out of that top four, I keep calling them the super teams, right? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. There are current super teams in college football. They are dominating their conferences in a way that's, you know, it's just, it's almost unprecedented. It is unprecedented in some of the conferences. And even though Alabama had a little stumble a couple of years ago, again, the, 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 the longer track record of what Alabama has done in the SEC has been amazing. Definitely during the, the championship the, game era. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So out of the four super teams, Alabama's got a new quarterback. Ohio State's got a new quarterback. Clemson's got a pre- relatively new quarterback, though we saw a little more of Uyunglele last year. Um, Oklahoma's got the quarterback back. And I think that's one of the reasons why Oklahoma is getting a little like, Hey, you know, the AP they're number two, but you you're seeing Oklahoma pop up as a national championship pick probably more so than, than in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And I think a lot of it has to do with that stability of knowing, wait a second, I've seen Rattler. He was spotty at the beginning of last year. I saw him get better as the season goes on. There's also the deference paid to Lincoln Riley. Hey, man, I know he's going to have a good offense. I know he's going to have that quarterback ready. I, you know, I've seen proof of concept with Baker and Kyler that Spencer Rattler might make a huge jump forward uh, in, in 2021. So I think there's a little hesitancy for some of those others. But there's also that idea of, wait a second, Bryce Young was a five-star. DJ uh, Uyunglele is a five-star. CJ Stroud was a high four, five-star at Ohio State. So, and and the other thing too is we've seen these quarterbacks, like a guy stepping in who hasn't played before immediately is awesome. That's become normal. That's like just sort of the way it is, right, in college football. In fact, it was surprising that Rattler wasn't, awesome immediately like he throws a couple of interceptions and we're like wow this guy maybe he's not that great because we've become so accustomed to these kids like bang they get on campus maybe give them one year to to to, to ferment and they're like they're taking off like rocket ships ralph when you were talking to some of the ap voters how weird was it to hear the deciding factor between Oklahoma and Clemson or Oklahoma and Ohio state or Oklahoma and Georgia. How weird was it to hear? Well, maybe I just like OU's defense better. Yeah. yeah. Listen, it's definitely taken a little, even for me, 
I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, I haven't made, I don't vote in the poll. I, I should like, you guys know that, but just so other people don't know, realize that like, I don't vote. The voters are PR reporters at newspapers, uh, websites, television stations, radio stations who cover college football from all over the country. So, but I'll eventually make predictions, right? I'll pick each conference. I'll pick like who I want, who I think will be in the playoff. And I doubt I'm going to pick Oklahoma. Now, does that mean I'm not going to pick Oklahoma and make the playoff? Yeah, I'll probably have them in the playoff or pretty darn close. But my, my only thing is like, even me, like I still find myself thinking like, this is without question, like a, a legit front seven. This is the best Oklahoma defense I've seen in a while, but I just can't totally get there, right? Like, are they going to be that good? Is it going to be like difference making good to, to win a national championship? I don't know. So, so yeah, that, so that's just me, me, you know, me using that example of like, yeah, it's hard to get my head around Oklahoma playing really good defense, even though I've seen it now, I saw it all last year. It's still tough to really commit to that. I, that premise that like, wow, Oklahoma's going to play really good defense. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And Hey, they have to earn it in the semifinal, right? If, I think anyone That's that is, is, yeah. is cautious has plenty of reason uh, to maybe steer away from that until it's proven otherwise. Um, I, I'm not sure where I saw the story, but we talked about it earlier today on, on the radio. Someone asked, was it Oklahoma had a handful of first place votes? Was yeah, it three, six, 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 six first yeah. place votes? Six in the AP. And someone asked, you know, those first place voters, why they voted for Oklahoma first place. And it may not have been all, but a majority said schedule. And I thought that was interesting because like that's the schedule. Hasn't been something that prevents Oklahoma in the past. Mm-hmm. It's been the semifinal. It's been whenever they, they're up against, you know, um, Teams that are just as talented, more talented than they are, uh, maybe better across the line of scrimmage, deeper than the other teams that they see. Is that shocking to you that that schedule is a reason they would pick them number one? Well, here's I'll I'll try to get in that mindset, because, again, I, I get I do get in that mindset. Right. I'm not a voter, but I will sit down and like sort of do that process. And. What what was notable to me about Oklahoma with when it comes to the schedule, because I, I did find myself going like, that's a nice road. Why you would pick them? like? So I'll be honest, like I, I think that's a little ass backwards logic. However, I, I let, let me let me see if I can explain it a little bit. When you start projecting who will make the playoff, in other words, like how, what confidence do I have that Oklahoma will make the playoff? Because my national champion has to actually get there. So if I'm somebody who's got some hesitancy about Alabama because, boy, Georgia's really good too, or I've got some hesitancy about Georgia because, man, they got to go through Alabama. Uh, plus, Alabama's got some other guy, other you know, tests within the SEC West. Uh, maybe, again, maybe o- Ohio State and Clemson. It, listen, I understand they're the class in those conferences, but maybe I've got a little bit of like, well – Maybe this is the year Ohio State takes a little stumble. Like, not only do I have the best Oklahoma team I think we've seen during the Lincoln-Riley era, at least as far as balance, um, but I also have a a team that I am pretty – I'm feeling confident that they will get to the playoff. 
And once they get there, then we'll see what happens. But if I'm going to pick a number one, I kind of want to be confident that they're just going to, that they're at least going to get there. And listen, I, I think Iowa State's pretty good. We can get into the Big 12. I think Texas has a chance to be good. Oklahoma State, I think that's a chance to be pretty good. But, you know, as good as Iowa State is, again, this looks like a really strong Oklahoma team. And we just happen to have a year where, like, their toughest non-conference game is, you know, is Nebraska and at Tulane. And that's a Nebraska team that probably doesn't have the, you know, the, you know, the stuff to knock off Oklahoma in Oklahoma. So I think that's part of it. Like, like I, I get what you're saying, Teddy, like that's a weird way to sort of say why Oklahoma, but I think that's how you sort of back into it by saying, well, Oklahoma, I'm pretty confident they'll get there and then we'll see what happens when they get there. I I've got a bit of a theory on the scheduling thing guys. And I think it has a lot to do with number one, OU's non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. And number two, AP voters wanting to look smart. And I have, I have no problem with that. But in my mind, I saw the poll and I was like, okay, Bama, number one. Yeah, that makes sense. They're really good. And then it was like, OU over Clemson, over Ohio State, over Georgia. And I was like, hmm. Like, I believe in OU this year, but I wonder what they saw. And that reminded me, Clemson and Georgia start the season with each other, right? And does an AP voter really want to pick one of those when OU's toughest non-con game is Nebraska? And then you look at Ohio State, they start at Minnesota, and then they have Oregon. You're like, "Uh." so I I wonder if some of the voters – looked at that non-con and went, you know what? OU seems like a safer bet with those games that the other teams have. And I, I, I do think that, that that is a factor in how people vote. I, you want to look smart. You want to look like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, listen, I think there's a little bit of, of sort of, uh, I, I want to be that, like, 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 like we all love to discover the band, right? Now, now listen, o, OU is not a, a new discovery, but I want to get in a little early. I'm going to be the person who has OU breaking through the, the Southeast dominance, right? Like it's been nothing but SEC teams in Clemson. Uh, this is the year that's going to, that's going to, that's going to stop. OU's got the, the team to be able to do it. I'm going to get on that uh, bandwagon a little early. I could see a little bit of that, but again, they're also really good. I mean, you know, I said the defense is really good. Uh, that front seven's terrific. I almost like what's spinning around on you guys. Cause I, I I'm interested to hear your perspective on this. Cause the one thing I have found myself being again, just like the slightest bit of hesitancy about OU is we assume the offense is going to be bananas. It's going to be great. Right. Cause they were, they were of, of course a very good offense last year, but with Baker and Kyler, they were like historically good. It, it was phenomenal. Those offenses So do they need, how much better does the offense need to be, right? Can the offense be only as good as it was last year or do they need, because I think they do. I think not that they need to be Kyler and Baker good offenses, but they probably do need to, if they're going to win a national championship, need to be a little better than they were last year. There needs to be like a, a progression of that offense. And what do you think from, of Rattler, and also the offensive line. Do you think this offensive line could be what we've seen out of Oklahoma in the last couple of years, which has been like, 
man, there's like four NFL guys up there. The, the general consensus so far through training camp with the O-line is that they feel like they've got seven guys they think are starters, right? That they would have no hesitation putting out there as starters. And then they've got two or three guys they feel are high-level backups. And from what they've done in camp so far, they are, they're really pleased with what they've seen along the offensive line. But you guys know, as well as I do, playing well in practice is one thing. Playing well in games is another. And I know that this doesn't bring a lot of people comfort, but when it comes to the offensive line, you really don't know what you got until you go play a game. You don't like just because a game game tempo, game pressure, game situations like you can try to simulate and practice as much as you want and you you can try to assume you know what you have but and maybe that's just all of football in general but especially along the line of scrimmage like we're just going to have to see it. We're going to have to see what it looks like against Tulane, Ralph. I don't know. But I, I will say this. I think the way that college football is now, you have to have an elite offense. Oh, I completely you, agree. You, can't, completely agree you can't have the offense that OU had last year and win a title. Well, it, It's got to be that Baker-like offense. See, and that's like you're making the point like I was trying to make and not getting to. Like, you can tell me the defense is better, but in today's college football, like, I want the elite offense. I want the well, – you know, I can score every time I touch the ball offense, and I don't know for sure if this offense is that. I know the old offenses were, but I, I don't know if – they're going to be good. I know they're going to be good, but, but, like, to what level? As, as much pain as it brings Teddy – if if you get to the college football playoff and you only give up 35, if you're Oklahoma, you're expecting to win. Yeah. Like, you yep. know, that that's that's just how football has changed. Like the the days of playing the best teams in college football and holding them to 14, like I it feels like those days are over when you run into Bama and the skill guys that they've got, and you run into Ohio State and the wide receivers, they got like it's really damn hard to play defense in college football, especially with the way the rules are, Ted. I mean. Yeah, it is. Here's the thing that worries me about OU's offense. Um, I, they're going to be good, right? Uh, we've got to be able to run the football better. We've had, say whatever you want about Baker. He, he's not an elite athlete, but he was a dangerous uh player whenever he had the football in his hands and he was running around, whether it was running yeah. to throw or running to create something in, in, in the running game, his numbers weren't huge, but he was a, a big threat. Kyler Jalen, obviously big threats in the running game. We didn't have that last year with Spencer. And I think that's why our running game really struggled. We, we did not run the ball anywhere close to where we had in previous years. Uh, but, that's got to get better. I don't, I'm not so worried about where do they end up ranking statistically, but we've got to be able to run the ball better whenever we, we have to right? short yardage or 
or whatever the, the case may be. We had way more third and longs last year than we had in pre- previous years. Uh, but we, got, we have to be more explosive. If I look back at the best teams that OU's had recently that made semifinals, you go back to 2015 whenever they made their first semifinal, you had Baker, Samaje Piran, Joe Mixon, Mark Andrews, Didi Westbrook, Sterling Shepard, all on that offense, not to mention the guys that ended up being draft picks on the offensive line. Uh, same thing in 17. It's kind of the same cast of, uh, of characters. You just have changed out some first-round wide receivers for other ones, right? And, you know, you had outstanding running backs. Uh, last year, or excuse me, 19, C.D. Lamb, we've, we've had really, really good, explosive skill talent. I think we have some guys that, maybe are going to break out into that this year. We just don't know, but that's really what is missing in my opinion from taking this from being a really, really good offense to what we've seen win the national championship recently, LSU, Alabama, the Ohio state, you know, Clemson offenses from uh, the years previous to that, that were, that were unbelievable. That's, I think that's the, the concern. And we've got, we've got the talent, we just got to see it because last year it was it was not great at skill position. Right. Listen, I mean, you, you need to play some defense. You need to be able to do, you know, to get a couple of stops here and there. You need to be able to force a turnover. You need to be able to force a field goal. Right. Uh, just as Gabe said, in today's day and age, if you can get it, it's almost more about stops than points. Right. How many possessions if we can keep them out of the end zone on you know 40 percent of their possessions that will work out okay it's more like trying to break serve than it is anything else. yeah and but it's all about how it, it's like it's so funny we, we we've sort of fallen in love we being sort of like the national media for us falling in love with oklahoma for its improved defense but man never but we're at a time when you need the offense like no 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 like we're, we're late to the party yeah, it's we, like we're, yeah, you know, no, like, we were great like, offense and then we, we it's just weird yeah, so that's what, and that's sort of where I have been. I have been like the the defensive improvement is nice if you're telling me it's going to go with one of those spectacular offenses because that was always the premise before. Oh my God, our offense is so good. If our defense was just average, we would win a national championship. But the, but and I I understand like the premise is the same coming into this year. But I would say, but your offense isn't that good, at least not yet. Like. This is like your your defense may be better than average, but you don't have that spectacular we can score every time we touch the ball offense. So where does that leave you? Again, we're we're sort of you know picking nits here to a certain degree, right? I mean, like I said, Oklahoma is easily easily one of the top four or five teams in the country, and we'll see how this plays out. But when you're talking about, as Gabe said, I'm going to get in the playoff against another elite quarterback, against another batch of elite receivers who I'm going to have a really hard time holding with down like below 28 points. What is my offense going to be? Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just how it feels that that's just how kind of where college football is at right now, in in my opinion. Now, Ralph, I, I always imagine you like, adding up the votes and then there's <laughs> just a couple where you're like, Holy shit. How do they have this team in this spot? Was, were there any moments? I, cause it was from a guy that played in the big 12 and played against Iowa state 
I had to look two or three times and be like, number seven, Iowa State preseason number seven, even though I know they're a damn good football team, just seeing them rank that high in the preseason. I mean, it's crazy what Campbell has done. It's amazing. It is, uh, it's almost got a little, now I I say this uh, deferentially and with great respect because he hasn't done it over the period of time and I don't think it's quite to this level, but it has a bit of Bill Snyder in what is going on a little bit, like a taste of that where like this program has been a doormat, like mediocre has been its ceiling over 15, 20, 30, like, you know, I'm older than you guys. As long as I can remember, this is like me. Was it was it, the last conference championship was like 19 like 100 years ago. Yeah. yeah something like right. that. It's crazy. So, so yeah, it, it's remarkable what he's done. Uh, it's remarkable. The type of team, you know, I, I think Bruce Feldman, who's my friend and you guys know, I mean, I think he best describes it in that, like how much of coaching really good coaching is just getting your players to play really really hard like that's coaching that really I mean I think we think schemes no no no. like you know Lincoln Riley obviously is like you know this genius play caller and then there are like you know culture coaching is culture but I think you you coach effort to a certain degree I've heard other coaches talk about this and people talk about how like to a certain degree you coach effort and his players just play with unbelievable effort. They've got some ballers. I mean, they got little legit talent. Kolar is an NFL tight end. Rose is probably an NFL linebacker. Brees Hall is without question an NFL running back. So, but yeah, just going back to what you said, Gabe, it's, it's phenomenal to me as someone who grew up in the eighties, you know, and I would look to see, Oh, what did Nebraska beat Iowa state by this week? What did Oklahoma, you know, did they get 70 this week? And Iowa state was just that team. And to see Iowa State at number seven is incredible. I will also say this, Gabe. I don't count them up by hand. That's all done by computer now. Like, oh, they flip it. open. Did, the, did yeah, you ever on. count them by hand? Because I really don't want to ruin that image. When every time the poll comes out, I'm like, okay. oh, that poor bastard Russo. He had to no. just tabulate it all up. Never in my lifetime. Not not my lifetime, my career. Remember my AP career, have, has it ever been by hand? Even way back when, in the early 90s, when I my life is a lie. computerized system that counted them up. Now, we would have to look through them and, you know, type them in, type in the ballots. It's, it's definitely evolved from that, where, like, the voters can literally just go online themselves, you know, hit submit, and there, there you go. There was a point, like, you know, in my career, like before I was a writer and I was just like sort of a, you know, a, uh, an editorial assistant is what they call it. Like I was one of the people who would be in the office taking phone calls as, as guys would call in their ballots. Right. Not even like email or fax. It was like, hey, you know, I, I'm so and so from the, uh, you know, from the podunk daily. I got to call in my AP top 25. OK, and open up a file and, and take it and, and then send it into the computer. So I did that for a few years before I started writing. So there was some of that. But the by hand stuff gave now. Nah, I mean, that's that's like 1980s. I'm not that old. <laughs> well, thank ruined. God Al Gore just created it. the Internet. Right. Yes, that way exactly. Makes you. it so much easier. <laughs> um, so there's five teams that re- received national championship votes, first place votes. Mm-hmm. And 
listen, I'm not, I realize that college football has always been dominated by really a handful of teams. But I look at this poll and I see five teams, the five teams that receive votes as the only real chance to win a championship and almost the only real chance to make the playoff. I mean, I think Iowa State has a chance if they were to pull off a big win in the Big 12 championship over Oklahoma. Okay, they would have a shot. Um, Notre Dame, I mean, Cincinnati's got the schedule to be the first group of five, but we're talking like a, a massive outside chance, and that's just to make the playoff. This can't be good for college football, right? I mean, it... You, no, you nailed it, Teddy. It's not that those five teams are the team that your champion will come from. If you said right now, you, give me those five teams and you get the field, I, I would take the five teams, right? I, I'm taking those five over the field. In fact, you, you could even I'd put my house on those five. over. The yeah, field. you could even whittle it down to four. Right. If you wanted to, maybe as long as uh, as long as Alabama was one of those four. And like I would say, I'll just take. I'll take that. I'll take I'll, I'll take the, the, the four over the field. Uh, the, that's always just as you said, that's always sort of been the case in college football. Usually you can find your champion somewhere between one and maybe seven, maybe seven. So now it's one through five. The problem is when you say I can't imagine any other teams making the playoff. That's the problem. And that's, you know, to get into another subject. That's the reason why we're looking at a 12 team playoff. Right. It's one of the reasons to, to say, listen, I, I understand that your national champion will still be the same, but maybe we need to get a few more teams in the mix here to sort of have a chance. Right. I, I, though I am interested, like, you know, listen, I, I look at the rankings and again, it's hard for me to wrap my head around Iowa State possibly sort of breaking into the field. They're really good, but I would almost expect them to finish. If you said over under seven on Iowa State, I'm definitely going over, over being like a higher ranking at the end of the year. I, I don't think they'll be seven at the end of the year. I think they'll be closer to 10, somewhere between 10 and 15. Um, so you asked me, like, so where are there other teams that maybe have a chance to sort of upset the apple cart here? Like, again, new quarterback at Ohio State. Does that leave an opening for maybe a Penn State if they get their stuff together after a bad year? Wisconsin, again, sort of coming off of a weird year with COVID and whatnot. Do they, can they click and maybe sneak, sneak into the playoff? Hard to see anybody out of the ACC other than maybe North Carolina. So maybe that's a team that could sneak into the playoff. And again, I'm just talking playoff. I'm not necessarily talking national champion. And then, of course, in the SEC, LSU is always sort of a wild card, right? They're always good enough to possibly put together. There's enough talent there to put together a season where they challenge Alabama. There's probably enough volatility there where they finish seven and five and Orgeron gets fired, frankly. Like, I think there's that, that is the range of outcomes for LSU. That that is the that is the Louisiana State experience right there. It's it's, it's sort of baked into the bread of Louisiana. Like volatility is the state of Louisiana, not just Louisiana State University, but the state of Louisiana. Speaking of the state of Louisiana, I 
I don't know about you, Ted, but I was really looking forward to Texas playing a team ranked higher than them in their opener. How <laughs> the, the voters had to make sure that that didn't happen, right? With Texas at 21 and the Raging Cajuns at 23. Come on, man. That would have been way funnier if, if Louisiana was ranked higher than Texas. It would have been. It would have been. Voters have a hard time quitting Texas. The funny thing is, I, I find myself thinking – like Texas, I think has a chance to be like pretty good this year, but I would have been in the mode of like, I got to see it, prove it. Like, I'm not putting you on this ballot here. Like, like I, I may think you're going to beat Louisiana. In fact, I kind of do think they'll beat Louisiana. And I, I kind of do think that they'll beat Arkansas. But it's one thing to do that. It's another thing for me to commit it to paper number 20, whatever in the country, number 19 in the country at this point. I feel like I got to I think I, I, I just encourage all the voters to step away from Texas, just step slowly, step away from Texas, let it breathe, let that breathe, let that sit there for a little bit. And let's let's just get back to that in a couple of weeks. Just take your Texas, put it there. And you know what? By September 14th, we'll have a pretty good maybe maybe 24 whenever they play Arkansas. I think Arkansas is game three or whatever. But within the first three weeks of the season, we'll have a pretty good idea what Texas is and then we can all go back to Texas. But for right now, let's all just step away from Texas. Why? So I'm, I'm with you, but why does it constantly happen? I, I feel like it's a, um, and this isn't aimed towards you. It's aimed towards the voters. Mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like there's a conspiracy here. <laughs> like, because they're always between like 19 and 22. And it's like, if we put them at 25, well, it looks like we just threw them in the top 25 to throw them in the top 25. If you hide them between like 19 and 22, it's a little more inconspicuous, but like, there's no reason, honestly, to put Texas in the top 25. And there quite frankly, hasn't been other than maybe one or two years over the last decade. I'll, I'll be devil's advocate here again. I'll play the role because a, I feel like I need to defend my voters and B, I, I just feel like that's kind of like my thing. I like to always argue the other side, uh, whether I'm passionate about it or not. Listen, Texas finished seven and three last year. It took OU to overtime. The three games it lost were by like a combined, like what, like, like 12 points or something like that. So I, I think the, the problem with, with what's happened with Texas is, they have been so disappointing that we haven't recognized it's hard. It's just, it's like they have made some progress over the Tom Herman era. It wasn't quite as much progress as they want. So they booted Tom Herman and decided to go to Sark. I just wonder if like, we were always at the point before where like, Oh, they're, they're ranked because they're Texas. And now I think we complain about them being ranked because they're Texas. You know what I'm saying? Like now it's almost like we crap on Texas a little too much because they have been. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Now I know selling that on this podcast, that's a tough sell. (laughs) It's a really tough sell rolling into Oklahoma. But I do, I think if you took a similar team with the resume that that Texas has coming off of last year and, and, and I told you, okay, where do you rank that team? A lot of people would go, yeah, probably about 20. Yeah, you know, probably about 20. Looks like about 20. Let me see what they got. Oh, they don't have a quarterback, but they got this great running back. Oh, you got how many starters? Okay. 
they, 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 how, what was their record last year? If I took that as a blind resume, you would probably be like, yeah, that team's probably about 20. But you throw Texas on there and we're like, Texas again. These guys, these freaking guys. So, but I get it. I, I totally understand. Like, cause I am with you on the, these freaking guys. Like, let's just like, let's just back away from them. But I think that's a little what's going on here. There's almost like a, a it's swung the other way with Texas now. Well, there's a couple confusing things about Texas. Number one, a couple, a couple, yeah, a couple. Yeah, a lot more several, than that. several, but some main, that, some, there, there's some main points of confusion for me, <laughs> at least. The first one is all the teams that have a similar level of talent are in the top five and are winning consistently. I mean, you, you go look at the recruiting rankings and it's Tom close, Herman. Yeah. I think Texas is a little bit below what a lot of, what the Ohio state they're not. I mean, they've had like top Alabama. five recruiting classes the last three or four years. Like they have, they've, they're, They've out-recruited Oklahoma. They've been the number one yes. recruiting class in the Big 12 more than Oklahoma in recent years, in no like the last eight years. And, and then the second most confusing thing about Texas is you just don't know what you're going to get. You Week to week, you don't know. It's like you look at the poll. Texas at 21, Wisconsin at 13. There is zero doubt in my mind that Texas has more talented football players, better athletes, than Wisconsin, but I know exactly what I'm going to get from Wisconsin. I know exactly what it's going to look like, and it's going to look the same every single week, and maybe they're playing a team that has more talent than them, and they can't do anything about it. But with Texas, dude, you don't – you have no clue what it's going to look like some weeks. It makes no sense. Well, I mean, and you guys live it, right, because they played pretty well against OU throughout this string where they haven't been particularly good. I, I'm sure I could find a couple of lopsided games in there, but even Charlie, trust me, I remember going to Dallas to cover a red river game. You know, when I was, I was basically sent to write Charlie strong's, you know, professional obit, like, Oh, this guy has no chance. And he wins. And he got the golden cap. You know, they were like one and four going into that game or something, weren't they? Yeah. So, so I, I totally. Can we not talk about that game? Thank you. I, yeah, that one hits a little It was close, the Case McCoy game, wasn't it? God. I think, I think so. You know what? They're all. It was my senior year. Blend into each other. But, but my point being, you're right. They're maddening. No identity is one of the reasons why Tom Herman's not there, right? They, just what you said, like, what is Texas? What are you from week to week? What are you offensively? What are you trying to be week to week? What is your calling card? I haven't been able to answer that from a Texas team in 10 years. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to f- find that identity with Sark, but that's one of the, and I think, you know, you talk about development that's been beaten to death. They're not, they're, they're getting good players, but they're not developing. I also think a big problem has been attrition. I mean, especially with the Charlie Strong classes, you like what the class that you saw on signing day that was like, oh, wow, that's a top 10 class, man. By the time you got to September, a a fifth of that class was back in Florida, right? Like like those guys were like not staying. So it looked good on signing day. And then a year later, you're like, well, it's not that we didn't develop these guys. It's that they didn't stay. They just scattered. So all kinds of issues with Texas and you're right. They've been maddening and very, I, listen, I am, I think Sark, I will say this though. 
from talking to Sark, from talking to other people on that staff, you know, again, like they didn't walk in there thinking like this was a rebuild. They understood like, oh, we got some guys here. Like we, we got that they were seven and three last year. They were not five and four or, you know, or, you know, or, or four and six. They, they, this is a team that they felt like now, does that mean that they're going, you know, 10 and two this year? Probably not. But I think that they believe that there is not that far to go, that they, that they can do something with the dudes that are on that roster. However, we have heard that before. Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a really, really good football team, a fun football team to watch. They've got an exciting quarterback in Ritter. They've got fantastic defense that's been consistently good over several years. I mean, they played Georgia to a 24-21 game last year uh, with the chance to, to go undefeated on the season. And you look at this year, they've got a schedule that I, they're capable of making the playoff. I mean, they're going to need some help. Obviously, some good teams are going to have to lose. But, you know, they're at Indiana and at Notre Dame. Uh, in two weeks, there's a bye week separating those games. But – I think they, they have a chance to win both of those games. What what is this the best chance maybe that we've seen of a, a group of five team making the playoff? I, I think so. I think so. Now, again, you need help because they could very easily have already hit their glass ceiling, so to speak. I, I, you know, the AP rankings aren't always reflective of the, of the of the college football playoff. Those come in November. We'll see what happens. It definitely helps to start that high, though. And I don't know. It, it, we've seen a, a group of five start that high, right? We, we haven't. And you're right. I mean, I think there's a credit. It shouldn't necessarily be this way, but those schools have to build up a little credibility year over year. Cincinnati certainly has done that. They're super physical. Uh, they, they play like sort of an old school Big Ten kind of feel. They almost feel like, you know, a little bit like, well, which makes sense, right? Fickle's an Ohio State guy. He grew up in that atmosphere. Um, so they kind of have that feel of like, you know, they're going to slap you around a little bit. They're really physical. They've got some, they've got some legitimate NFL guys in the secondary and they've got a legitimate NFL quarterback, but ultimately their DNA is to be like super physical and, and be really, really tough. And again, another, another situation where I think they coach effort. Well, you know, they, they, they are a team that plays very, very hard and knows exactly what they want to be. Um, the other good thing about that schedule, it's it's a it's a tricky schedule, but it's not that tricky. Like it's it's enough to give them credibility, but they can beat Indiana. Like it, they can go into Indiana and absolutely we're not asking I think they should beat Indiana. I, I think they will. I think they will. We're not asking them to go in and beat Ohio State and and Texas AM, right? Like this is a this is a notch below that. Indiana definitely a notch below that. And Notre Dame, listen, Notre Dame is very very good. But I think this is a year where this is a good year to catch Notre Dame. Right, still figuring out a quarterback. Got the Wisconsin transfer. I think is a pretty good player. But Notre Dame's signature is that offensive line. They're pumping out NFL offensive linemen every year. They will have NFL guys on this line, but they just don't have them fully developed. Right, they're they're younger guys. So I think this schedule for Cincinnati is just good enough to give them the kind of boost it needs, but just, but not so tough that they can't actually go out and win these games. 
The other thing, too, I would just air real quick in the AAC. I don't think the AAC is as quite as tough as it has been the last couple of years. I think Memphis is probably trying to find itself a little bit. I think, you know, Temple a couple of years back was very good. They're way down. Like, I think the conference is still very tough, but I don't think it's quite as tough as it's been the last few years. So I think they have a little easier road to get through what is what is a pretty tricky conference too. Ralph, we'll let you run after this one, man. But every year there's, and you probably know the exact number, but there's probably roughly eight to 10 teams that start in the poll that at the end of the year are not even in the top 25. Right. Who are a couple of those teams? Because I, I know you put the poll together, but you also cover the sport very closely. So who are a couple teams you see in the poll now where you just go, mm, nope, not buying it, don't believe in them? So uh, the average over the last 11 years is nine and a half. Nine and a half teams that start the season ranked end up unranked. So you can you, you look at the poll now, figure 15 will make it, 10 won't. That's probably a pretty good way. Maybe it fluctuates a little bit year to year. Some years it's eight, some years it's 12. But figure 10 will be in 15. 15 will be in 10 will. Um, and usually one or two from the top 10 will not be. On average, it's 1.5 over the last 11 years. So that one or two, like one or two is the, of the top 10 teams will end up flaming out so bad they're not ranked. Who are those teams? I, I, I got to, like Indiana to me. I mean, Tom Allen's done such a good job. So it's like, I hesitate to like, sort of say like, Oh, I think they're a little overrated, but I don't know, man. Like this is still an Indiana team that has to face some really good big 10 competition. Like if I told you, uh, it's a little bit like the Iowa state thing. If I told you Indiana would go eight and four, you'd be like, wow. Like, like two years ago, that's a great year for Indiana. Like, now, if eight, Indiana goes eight and four and like slips and maybe finishes eight and five because they lose their bowl game, it is unranked. Like that's a disappointment for Indiana. So I'm a little skeptical on Indiana. I would probably have them in my in my bunch that might not be ranked. Um, I am a. I do think this is going to be a year where I could see Notre Dame slip a little bit. Now slip all the way out of the rankings. That seems like a bit of a stretch. But I could see Notre Dame ha- having a year where maybe they go eight and four uh, and that pushes them out of the rankings. Um, I'm a little I'm a little worried about Florida and all that turnover. They were so awesome offensively last year. I think Emory Jones is a good quarterback. I think Dan Mullen's a good offensive coach. But if you're telling me kind of go back to the conversation we have at Oklahoma, Florida is not going to be as good offensively. And now they have to make it up defensively. I don't know. And they're playing in the SEC. Oh, by the way, they got Alabama. Like that could be quickly come a, an eight and four, seven and five season for those. So those are the ones that sort of jump out, you know, and also when, once you hit towards the bottom and listen, Texas, right? Like you could easily see Texas losing to Louisiana, losing to Oklahoma, losing to Iowa State. And there goes Texas from the rankings. So those are the ones that jump to my mind. I think there's also a fair amount of volatility, as we said before, with LSU, where LSU could be awesome or LSU could be, wow, like who's the next LSU coach? I would lean more towards the awesome, by the way. I think they they have so much talent that I think it's hard to screw it up. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, man. Dude, it's always good 
catching up with you. Appreciate the time, buddy. Yeah, guys, always a pleasure anytime. And have a, you know what? I'm just happy to, last year when I talked to you guys, we still weren't even sure what the hell that we were doing. We were in a bad spot, boys. We were, we were, <laughs> we were, we were in a dark place. So as busy as this offseason has been with NIL and realignment and NCAA stuff, man, I'm just so happy that we're looking at games that we know will be played, most likely with people in stands. I guess I'm still <laughs> crossing my fingers on that. So it's a pleasure to come on with you guys and just talk football. Awesome. You're the man, Ralph. Thank you. Ralph's the man, but he he did not have to destroy that funny image I had in my head of him like doing it by hand. Why did he have to ruin that for me, Ted? What the hell was that? Come on, Ralph. I don't know. I don't know. You could still think of it that way, Gabe. Come on. You okay. Thanks, man. Flush it out. You can still think of it that way. Loved it, though. Aside from the part where he was defending Texas, uh, loved everything about it. He Ralph's probably went man. and took a shower after that. <laughs> At the very end, though, he did something caught my attention. You know, we ran so long that I didn't want to ask him another question. But when he said the thing about stadiums and maybe them not being full, remember his his wife is, I think she's an epidemiologist yeah, or like an infectious right. disease doctor. I don't remember exactly what, but he's got some inside info on that. That's where like he said that I was like, what, huh? Can't throw out nuggets like that on the show, Ralph. Can't do it. Come on, Ralph. We're just we just want full stadiums, man. That's all we want, Ralph. Okay, let's get to our winners and losers of the week. But first, do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And guys, it is summer, and you know what that means. It's hard seltzer season, baby, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. I do want to say, I feel like there's a bunch of fall weddings this year because huh, a bunch of okay. weddings got postponed, right? And a bunch of fall weddings, which I will not be able to go to a couple of them. I'm shocked that, you know, I feel like once a wedding's postponed that it never ends up being followed through with. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, well, It was from the Corona stuff, you know, like all the yeah. weddings pushed off. Will and Wiley. Perfect for your fall wedding. I mean, it's it. er, especially early fall. Nice, crisp Will and Wiley. It's customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in the store near you. And go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. Ted, as always, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I, You know me. I love to get way out over my skis. Love to get ahead of myself, okay? And... Uh, 
I'm having these feelings. I is CeeDee Lamb about to be the best wide receiver in the NFL? Is that about to happen? He okay, first first thought, he has tremendous luggage. I don't know if you saw his collection of duffel bags <laughs> yes, that he was did. zipping up on hard knocks. I have that exact same Louis Vuitton bag. It is awesome. It was a gift. I want to make that very clear, but it's a great bag. And I was like, oh, me and CD are bag twins. What's up? Awesome. But he he looks like he is going to be an absolute star. The only concern, right, is his quarterback shoulders jacked up. Like, that's... Yeah. That's a concern right now. It's crazy. Amari Cooper's like, yeah, yeah. I want to go ahead and come back from injury real quick. I want to. I want to rush this thing. Get back. I mean, he could see that CD is turning into the superstar on that football team. And you just look numbers wise, and yeah, you gotta, you gotta hope that that Dak shoulder is okay. CD went for almost a thousand yards last year, catching passes from. An interesting group of quarterbacks. Ben okay. Danucci. Yeah. Uh, no, offense after, to De, no, no offense to the Nooch, as he's known by his friends. Yeah. Fantastic. After Dak had that really bad uh, ankle or uh, calf cramp uh, that Romeo, Romo pointed out to us. It's a bad cramp, man. Yeah. It was a it was a tough year, but he almost had a thousand yards receiving. You say what you want about Dak and winning big games and being able to get it done whenever they need to. But whenever last time he's healthy, he threw for almost five thousand yards, number two in the NFL. I think our boy CD's about to go off this year. I do. There, there's no doubt, bro. Like if Dak is healthy, that O line's back intact. They should be a lot better up front. You know, Zach Martin, Zach Martin, healthy. Tyron Smith, hope he stays healthy. He's so fun to watch when he is healthy. Like. Dak should get great protection, dude. He like he he doesn't look like a different human being, but like he looks like he's grown three inches since he left Oklahoma, right? And gained about fifty pounds. <laughs> like, like what's he, going on? It's like he, and I mean this in the nicest. Like he went to the NFL, became a man, bro. That's like, right. He <laughs> that grown man strength started to come in. So I, I I'm with you, dude. I despite how boring this this season of Hard Knocks is, CD is like the one thing where I'm like, this is awesome. Like he's making all these ridiculous catches. It's fun to watch, but the rest of the stuff, can we get can we get some characters? HBO, can we get some characters, Dallas Cowboys? Can I, we have some fun, please? I feel like I feel like Hard Knocks started like it was absolute cannot miss television. And it slowly turned into something that I don't think anyone cares about. And part of me feels like it's social media. Like when it first happened, it's like, oh my God, we get to see what it's like inside an NFL training camp. It's like, I remember being in college whenever it came out, it was like, I, I'm so fascinated by what it's like at the next level. But now you have all that access anyways to all these guys on social media. You see a lot of this stuff, you know, like some of these, these stories about everyone. I wonder if that has to do with it. I don't know, but it's lost a lot of its, uh, its luster. And, and I do think it is, it has a lot to do with the team and everything to do with the players. If the players aren't willing to what I like to call play the game, 
with the production crew, then it's it's going to be a bad product. It's going to be boring. If you get guys that are that want to be in front of the camera, that are willing to do, it, especially the star players, so like they don't care if their meeting room finds them for being on hard knocks. Like that's a thing, by the way. That's why you never see O linemen on hard knocks because O line groups have the the strictest finding system of any position group on the team. And I guarantee you there is a massive fine for anybody, especially for young players, rookies included, if they are on camera talking on hard knocks. I guarantee you that is in place. That's what you do. Think about it. Don't see a lot of linemen on there. And I I wish I wish more guys would have fun with it. I yeah. think if more guys had fun with it, it would be a really, really good product. Like it was like you go back. The first season was the best season. It's because all the guys were like, this is awesome. I got a lot to say. I'm going to say everything to this camera. And it was amazing. Who was the Was, was it the Ra- I feel like it was the Ravens was the first one that I watched. Is that who it was? I think that's right. Yeah. No, I was in college. It was cool. Cause we were in training camp watching them in training camp. It was, it was awesome. Um, loser. It's got to be the NFL. What? It's it, explain the taunting thing to me, Gabe. There's definitely a line where taunting should be a penalty. But if you carry a group of tacklers ten yards and can't get up and do some type of flex or whatever, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Did you see what? the co-owner of the giants said john mara we're tired of all the talking is or something like that john no one is tired of it no one is tired of it but you like i i want nfl players to talk an insane amount of trash to each other like it makes it fun like now If you hit a guy with the double birds in his face, yeah, you're probably going to get a flag. If you like spit on a guy, first of all, you're going to fight and then you're going to get a flag. But it's like, you should be able to carry a group of guys, get up and say, y'all, all all my bitches. Like that should be within the rules because it's fun. It's fun. Can we just have fun, please? We all know it's pretty easy to see where the line is, right? Right. Of like, there's like a expected. If you get run over, there's an expected moment after the play to where everyone tells you about what just happened, right? That's expected. That comes with the territory. Now there's a, there's times whenever it goes above and beyond whenever things are, there's like a, I don't know, like a four or five second period to where almost anything goes. And then after that, we're supposed to go to the next snap. If it lingers, if multiple people come in, like we know what it looks like whenever something is too much. And what we saw the other night was not too much. That is a total standard play that should always be allowed to happen. Yeah, it was, it was a ridiculous call. And I, they cannot officiate that way because we see this, this every year with some type of some type of emphasis 
and it always fades after like two or three weeks. Yeah. In the regular season. Refs refs do not want to be, despite what some people think, refs don't want to decide games. They don't. I've talked to plenty of NFL officials over the years, and one of the first things they always say is, hey, we you we we don't want people to even know we're there. Like we just want to call the obvious stuff and go home. Like that's 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 how they want to go about their job. The last thing a ref wants to do, in my opinion, is with this new stupid taunting rule affect the outcome of an NFL football game by making one of those calls. Because if they call it tight like that, it will affect the outcome of a game and people will lose their shit. Well, here's what happens though, is the guys are going to get called for it early. And just like in a basketball game or whatever, they're going to adjust to the officiating. Right. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be, the product I think that is, is more entertaining. Some people are old school and don't want to see anything. I'm fine with that. I, I, I'm not, got, those people are boring. Stop it. Yeah. They're it, it's boring, but there, there, there has to be some type of limit on it. And I think it's, I think it's easy. I think, I think it's easy to tell whenever someone goes over the limit and something becomes like malicious and, and something that's going to possibly get the game to where it spirals out of control. Give me all the fights, every single one of them. Let's do this. Let's get weird. No, I say, I I say two guys line up, ditch the helmets, let everyone back up, circle them NHL style. That's why hockey's a great sport, man. Let, let the men settle it themselves. That's right. All right. Are you looking? To buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area, I just used the Ronaldo Cloud Group to sell my old house, and it was so easy and stress-free. Station Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service, and that is exactly what they gave me. I really, guys, I really just didn't have to do anything but sign some stuff electronically. It was great. You can reach them by emailing Stacia at Stacia at SageSir.com. That's S-T-A-C-I-A at S-A-G-E-S-I-R.com. Or you can contact them on Instagram at at sold by Stacia and at sold by Maddie underscore. You will not regret using them. Ted, for my winner of the week, I thought about going with Mets owner, Steve Cohen, because he tweeted, quote, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. And he tweeted it about his own team. They've lost like 14 of 19. And I don't, I, I don't watch a ton of baseball, but I, I try to stay up on, you know, kind of the bigger stories in the league, what's going on in the MLB. And I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious because I clearly owners aren't supposed to call their own players out via a tweet, but it was just funny that like the owner of the Mets is now acting like a fan of the Mets, which he was, and then he bought the team. And it's just funny. It's I, I find it hilarious. I thought it was refreshing for some reason. Well, that is good. What was your interaction with any of the owners of the teams that you were on? How much time do you have? <laughs> I I just as you know, um, I have a certain affiliation with one gas station and I played for a team 
for an owner that made all his money from the rival gas station. That's right. Was he trying to squeeze you for insider tips? So there was, there, there was at one point in time, a game that I was inactive. I was inactive for the game. The center, our center for the Browns got ejected from the game and this all happened and I was inactive and I would have obviously probably could have helped out in the pickle. And my wife and my mother-in-law were in Jimmy Haslam's suite while that was all happening. <laughs> True story. Fantastic story. Well, it's, it's like, the reason I say that is there, there was always like this weird when the owners around, like everyone's like, Oh God, they're like, like he's going to start walking through there and cutting people left and right. And they're just not going to do that. But there was always kind of that weird, weird feeling like, Oh my God, the boss is in here. I just can't imagine what it would be like if that boss is then ripping the team on Twitter. I just, I can't imagine his players enjoyed it. <laughs> no, no. But my winner of the week, Steve Kerr. Follow me on this one, Ted. You're going to like this journey. So did you see the Kevin Durant and Draymond Green interview? I saw some snippets. Okay. So for those of you that didn't see it, Draymond Green is doing this thing for Bleacher Report and he interviewed Kevin Durant and the conversation gets to Durant leaving the Warriors the altercation that was made such a big deal publicly between Draymond and KD and kind of the role that that played in him leaving and it all evolves into a conversation where both guys are basically blaming Steve Kerr and Warriors GM Bob Myers for Durant eventually leaving the Warriors and Draymond Green basically said that KD and him would have worked out their feud. Like only they could figure their beef out and they would have figured it out themselves. And they both say that Steve Kerr and Bob Myers did too much and brought too much attention to the situation. And Draymond Green, he still plays for the Warriors. <laughs> Kevin Durant does it, but Draymond Green still like he's saying all of this about his current head coach and his current general manager. And I, I think Steve Kerr is the winner of the week, Ted, because this feels like the beginning of the end for Draymond Green as a warrior. And I'm sure, and I'm sure Steve Kerr is incredibly grateful for Draymond Green, he was the emotional leader of those teams. They won a lot of championships. Steve Kerr has benefited from Draymond Green's skill set and leadership, but he is probably tired. I mean, I can only imagine how tired he is of having to deal with him. And I wonder if Steve Kerr saw this and went, oh, thank God. Let's get this dude out of here. That's, that, that's why I was like, you know what? Steve Kerr's winning this week because Draymond Green, like it was so weird to see him just go after his current head coach. Yeah, it is weird. But it's interesting. The NBA is an interesting league because it's yeah, but all about Draymond Green is not Steph Curry. That's true. That's definitely true. I would say it has way more to do with how Steph Curry feels about Draymond Green than it does Steve Kerr. You know, I, and I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. You know, if, if Steph Curry's sitting there saying, 
yeah, it was Steve Kerr. I agree that they would have worked it out and Durant still would be here. Well, then it may be the end of the line for Steve Kerr, which quite frankly, he still may be the winner of the week for that, you know, like not having to deal with Draymond Green uh, anymore, even if he's the one to go. But it's so fast. Can you imagine a football player saying that about the current head coach and GM? I mean, we kind of saw that with Aaron Rodgers with the GM a little bit, but uh, it's basketball is it's it's crazy. That's what happens whenever the players make like five, six, seven times as much as the head coach and the contracts are absolutely ironclad guaranteed. It was fascinating. It was just (laughs) fascinating. Okay, for my loser of the week, thought about going with Oregon's Kevon Thibodeau. Now, he is an awesome player, and he is making bank off name, image, and likeness deals out there for Oregon. But his latest deal, Ted, is with United Airlines. Don't do it, Kayvon Thibodeau. Don't do it. United Airlines is the worst. And I know that they are doing special flights to Oregon's road games. I get it. But those flights will probably be delayed, or if they aren't delayed, they'll be canceled because United Airlines sucks. Run, Kayvon. Don't do it. I don't care what they're paying you. What's the so I haven't flown in a while. I haven't flown anywhere, traveled anywhere since Mexico uh, in February. It seems like everything is delayed these days. Like, all flights are delayed and canceled left and right like crazy. Yeah, it sucks. And United all the time. Mm, brutal. Kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a South. I, I don't know. Southwest is kind of on my shit list ever since they took that OKC to Dallas flight away. Like, yeah, I, I'm starting to enjoy Delta a little bit. I Southwest like is Southwest is money if it's a nonstop. Oh, yeah. If you're nonstop, Southwest is the way to go. But And you know the plane's not going to be small. I'm just so mad getting. at them for taking away that flight to to Love Field. Why'd they do that? Why did you do that, Southwest? Yeah. Okay, yeah. but there's only one choice for loser of the week. Scott Frost. Oh, boy. Scott Frost. Brett McMurphy reported that Nebraska football has been the subject of an NCAA investigation for months. And Scott Frost and the program are being investigated for improper use of analysts and consultants during practices and games. Sounds like he had an analyst running special teams in practice, which if you don't know, that is against the rules. Analysts can't, they can't do that. Can't interact with the players in practice or on game day. Now, Nebraska is also being investigated for unorthor- unauthorized off-campus workouts led by their strength and conditioning staff that took place during the pandemic stoppage. Once again, not the worst thing in the world, but against the rules. But those things, Ted, okay, not ideal, but not so bad. Th- those are slap-on-the-wrist offenses in my mind. But Then you have the other stuff that came out on Wednesday about Scott Frost. Brad McMurphy had it. There were several other reports. 
Turns out, hey, Ted, do you remember when Nebraska tried to back out of the game with OU and all the Nebraska fans were like losing their minds, but they were adamant that Scott Frost had nothing to do with it, that he would never do that. As a former player, as a former tough guy, as a former Husker, he knows what it's about. He would never do that. You remember that? Yeah. Well, turns out Scott Frost was leading the charge along with his chief of staff to get Nebraska out of the game with OU. And I am not, I, I don't think I am, I, I don't think I'm blowing it out of proportion when I say leading the charge because the athletic director advised Scott Frost not to pursue any scheduling options that did not include the September 18th OU game. Scott Frost ignored his athletic director, allegedly, went behind his back and was asking all kinds of group of five programs to play on that date and to replace the OU game. So this is why he's my loser of the week. It's not because of the NCA investigation. It that that sucks, but whatever. He'll 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 come through that fine. But he he put off or he put out an image that he would play any team anywhere anytime. And then when people asked him about the OU thing, he said he wasn't in charge of scheduling. Now, after this stuff has come out publicly, he, it, his fan base, every single Nebraska fan now knows that their program is led by a guy that was scared to play an opponent. And not only does the fan base know that, every player in that locker room now knows that their head coach did not believe in them to go play in that game. And that is an incredibly hard thing to digest if I am one of his players. That he was so scared, that he thinks we are so shitty that he didn't want to go play that game in Norman. I I don't know about you, Ted, but if I was in that locker room, I would be beyond pissed. You are supposed to be our leader. Everything starts at the top in college football with the head coach. Everything. And the fact that that is the way he is thinking right now, and that's what he thinks of his team, that is bullshit. And if I was in that locker room, I would be beyond pissed at my head coach. I'm not buying it. I, I'm not saying that I, I don't, like I think Scott Frost may have not wanted to play that game and said, gosh, is there anything that we can do to get out of it? I, I mean, I guess I can see that, but what's he going to do? Like schedule just another opponent and not tell anyone? He can't do that. I, guess, I, just, I, was I, like, I don't understand. What? I mean, this is coming. This is coming. A- I think if you connect some dots, it's coming when from Bill Moose, the former athletic director there. Right, but when would an athletic director ever 
Well, I don't, have you ever even heard of a head coach in the modern era of football scheduling games and not the athletic director? I have. I I have no idea how scheduling is done. I'm not going to. I always assume the athletic director does it all. Well, yeah, because you've got to coordinate with your with the television partners. You you can't just go schedule a game. I mean, it seems. Do you think Scott Frost knows that? He's got to know that. Yeah, that's why I, th- I think this is a massive hatchet job, and I think the, um, like the the, asp- the assistants on the field with coaches, and they're talking about their they have film of it and they have film of the oh of the weight room deal. You I, you know what that this means? Is, it's a setup. No, someone snitched, and yeah. this that portion of this whole thing. It has a very David Beatty-ish feel to it. It has a very Jeremy Pruitt-ish Fired feel with to cause. it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. I think it's a hatchet job. I think the whole thing is a hatchet job. I think you throw him under the bus on the scheduling deal to get the fan base pissed off at him. Well, I just, I mean, I just went off on the guy. Now, I, now you got me thinking I did it for no reason. Well, I just, I regret nothing, Scott sense. Frost. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you you got to get the fan base angry at him in order to be able to fire him with cause, save $20 million in buyout money, and and have the fan base go along with it. Like, you can't just go fire the, the prodigal son and, and pay $20 bucks or even fire him with cause whenever the fan base is like, why you fire him over, like, guys lifting weights at an off-site facility? Who cares? I mean, that's, that's not a big deal. I just, I feel like, I feel like he, this is like a, a political hatchet job here and you have to make sure you turn the fan base on him first. It's very similar to, have you, have you watched the white Lotus? No, I've seen that advertised. I don't know what it is. Well, one of the characters is a journalist wrote a piece about one of the other characters she meets she calls it a hatchet job, Ted. You'll know what I'm talking about when you get to episode what, two or three of the White Lotus. I mean, it's it's like a, it's right out of a political playbook, right? You it a lot a lot happened at once for our man Scott Frost yeah, on Wednesday. It was all like, like ready to it was all ready to pop. Like you know, all the journalists already had the stories and they had them written, and then here comes the investigation. Oh, by the way, look what else we happen to have prepared and ready. Hmm. Yeah. I dude, I love when you get on your like conspiracy Teddy That's is my right. favorite Teddy. That's right. You gotta you gotta sift through the rubbish, Gabe. <laughs> well, I well, I just went at Scott Frost's head. So we'll see. Well I, it's gonna be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Right. I am I'm very interested. On that note, episode 139 mm. in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400 and 94.7. How about that? The ref. Is that right? 94.7, the ref. The ref. We're booming 100,000 watts all over the place, Gabe. That's a lot of watts, my dude. I know it. I know. I'm very proud of you. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Timing just wasn't right for me. I'm sorry. I know it. I know it. It's okay. 
It's okay. I just had a kid, man. I know. I you know I wanted to be part of it. I'm sorry. We're gonna have we're gonna have more opportunities in the future. Yes, absolutely. You can catch me from three to five on Sirius XM Big Twelve Radio Channel three seventy five. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.